0: Hello and welcome to What About Us, a podcast that discusses how policies, history, and culture affect rural Tennesseans. I'm Sandy Rice and I'm happy to be part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Go to tnholler.com and explore the other shows live and recorded, sign up for the newsletter and make a donation. The Holler is people-powered. Today we have a two-part program for our topic, Food Insecurity. Or as I like to say, why can't we feed everyone? This is the United States, for crying out loud. When I was a skinny little girl and a picky eater, my mother would encourage me to clean my plate because there were people starving in China. I wanted to find a way to package my uneaten food and send it to them. My first two guests have found a way to package leftover food, but we don't need to send it to China. We need it here. Rick Wright is known around the University of the South as Chef Rick. He is the Director of Dining Services. David Goodpaster is the curate of Odie Memorial Parish Church and Director of the Community Action Committee, which runs a food pantry in addition to other things. Welcome Rick and David.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: So how are you help helping feed people in our part of rural Tennessee? Take it away.
2: Well, sure. When uh, when I when I started at CAC back in May of uh, 2020, um, there had already been some plans uh, put into action for the for the purchasing through the local Rotary Club uh, for the purchasing of uh, an industrial sealing machine with the idea that um, unused portions from the university. Could be repurposed um, essentially into meals, and when I started reading about this, I just got extremely excited. Like what Sandy was talking about early earlier about just ways we can help folks, and this just seemed so obvious. And so one of the very first things I did when I started the job was to reach out to uh, Chef Rick to kind of find out uh, where we were um, on that plan and after talking with him and getting the green light to go ahead and proceed, even during a pandemic, um, we got going and reached out to Rotary and uh, made the phone calls that needed to be made to uh, get this machine out of, it came out of Canada of all places. And uh, Rick, you know, first of all, having that conversation with you was was uh, just a wonderful thing. I mean, when, when two like-minded people can come together uh, with a singular mission, uh, really, Good things can get started. And so I, I think that was a start to a wonderful relationship.
1: Okay. So how does this all work, Rick? Well, um, it's it's actually kind of a win-win. Um, you know, the, the, the challenge is, is the hunger in America, you know, and uh about 50 million people are food insecure in the United States. And and when we first came up with this idea, it's been a couple of years ago to do this, uh, to to take leftover product, right, from meals that we prepare here and uh, other locations. So we also aggregate food from St. Andrew's School now. Uh, So we take those leftover portions. And as I would mentioned earlier, Sandra, we feed close to 3,700 meals a day here, uh, individual meals. So that requires to produce a lot of food. And of course, when you produce, have that strong of production, there's always gonna be leftover portions for all of those meal components. So we aggregate and store all that during the course of a production week here in the dining hall. Uh, and put we put them in um, aluminum pans and label and date them and put them on a rack in the refrigerator. And then on Wednesdays, I take them to Odie Parish uh, and we sort through the food, determine what we can make a meal of that's attractive, and nice and nutritious. And we build those meals. So last night we built, I don't know, two or 300 individual meals, I guess, David, and That's probably, right. probably another hundred or so bulk meals. So the the fabricator that we have or the, the sealer has the ability to do the frame itself can be flipped over and take another type of package. So we have two types of packages that David has purchased. One is a three compartment, almost like a TV dinner. Mm-hmm. And the other is a bulk thing, like you would get the Stouffer's lasagna in or um, maybe a family of four. Um, and then We plate that up with help from the community. Uh, A lot of people have been volunteering to help us do it. We've gotten pretty efficient at it. We can typically pound out about a hundred meals in less than a half an hour and seal those. And then they go into our freezer where they can be held for up to six months before they start to degrade and um, have to be destroyed or thrown away. And then David distributes these meals to uh, the outlying community. And as we know, the need is really great throughout the United States and particularly in Appalachia and South Appalachia and the Cumberland Plateau,
2: um, and word has pretty much quickly spread, and it's it's been through through contacts, through folks who just know each other throughout the area, um, and and what's what's especially great about this setup is how Rick has been able to essentially um, take care of more or less the front end of things. So he's obviously being able to provide the the unused portions that come out of dining services. He's helped with the, the the purchasing of exactly what's needed, and then on the back end is where I come in after, and then together we we process and put together the meals on any you know the, the night that's assigned, and then on the back end, you know, it's my responsibility to to distribute to find these channels, and so that's really uh, continued to expand. We we started out in Sherwood. We've, we've made inroads down into Cowan and Winchester. Uh, one thing that I especially love is how this program is starting to feed children. It's absolutely wonderful. And uh, right now we have a direct contact with a, an after school at risk youth program in Franklin County that we provide meals for. And these are kids who do not get normal meals when they go home from school. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that's just been absolutely wonderful. Uh, we're starting to make a lot of inroads through some churches in Eagle. Um and the and what's great is these churches have much better contacts with folks throughout the Grundy County area, and so it just kind of continues to compound and, and it's snowballing absolutely. And it's it's just, and Rick has already Rick can talk more to this, but we're 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 also going to continue to expand on the front end with the number of meals and the number of nights and. It's just been a, a really wonderful development. Okay, so there's no uh, there's
0: no state or government funding for this. The the clients that you serve, there's no paperwork or proof of income or anything. This is just completely.
1: Yeah, well, I, we just want to feed people that are hungry, and 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 we, you know, and, and it makes it much easier when you don't. You know, we operate other programs as well with food insecurity uh, out of the dining hall. We have, we have a summer program where we feed, um, you know, people under the age of 18 breakfast, lunch, and dinner because the school meal program is, is, um, not there because of the summer. So, uh, w- and not to, ch- not to really track from what we're t- talking about, but what we did this past summer kind of indicates the level of food insecurity on the Cumberland plateau, Sandra. So the summer before we served a little less than 9,000 meals in the month of June and July through the summer meal program. This past summer, we served just under 50,000 meals. Wow! So, uh, you know, and the pandemic has made it even more more dire. And uh, and when we were having this conversation, I guess a year or so ago, David, and David says, do you think we can do this in a pandemic? I said, my goodness, we have to do it. It's a pandemic. We How else are people going to get food if we can't get it to them? Mm-hmm. Um, so the need is huge. And, and when David talks about the front end piece about the aggregation of the food, uh, you know, everybody that produces food, if they're in the, this industry has waste. And, and all, there are also other peripheral industries that support this industry that has waste. And we're in conversation with a bulk food manufacturer right now about buying foods uh, for very little money. That's what they call the stress food where the package is torn or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's tons and tons of food that typically would go to landfills. And we're just trying to figure out a way to redistribute it to hungry people. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's important to know that about 40% of all prepared food in the United States is thrown away, right? right? So, and if you've got 50 million hungry people and you're throwing away 40,000 or 40% of the food, it'd be really be nice to connect those two in some way. Right. And I, I think that's what David and I are trying to do with this program. Right.
0: Could, could your program, be duplicated um, in other communities or organizations i mean obviously you have a big source of food that isn't eaten by the students and this is not what's been served it's just it's what's left over what what you don't use
1: so could another
0: community do this if
1: uh people can do it. It's not, I mean, David and I are doing this. We're not the brightest people. Okay. So, you know, I'm not saying we're not, but we're average, you know, we're just average guys that want to feed hungry people. And if you have that desire, you can make that happen within your community. Every community has, a, has some institution, whether it be a school system or a prison system, Yeah, you know, maybe not prison so much because they don't have any waste, but uh, have a have an institution where they have leftover product, mm-hmm. and if you can source that and you can package it, there's always going to be people that want to eat it. You know, there's uh, we, what we found is the need is great. It's always amazes me, David. Every time I think that we might be getting to a place where we're meeting the need of the community, it, it becomes obvious that we're not even close to meeting the need of the community. Mm-hmm. And that's right. And the United States, which is really kind of sad. Especially, you know, the way you introduced your program, that's accurate. Why in the nation, in the countries, in the world's most prosperous nation, do we have people hungry? You know, why? Why why do we even allow that? Why is that normal? Why do we say, okay, well, he's hungry. Why is that acceptable? It's just stunning to me. Mm -hmm. I had a teacher once, and I say this in every one of these interviews, told me, um, you know, you can't feed everybody, but you can feed one person. Mm-hmm. So you know if your listeners would just take the opportunity to feed one hungry person if everybody did that uh, we would have a lot less hunger you know and if you if they feel like they don't have the time or the ability to do that they can always donate to their local food bank mm-hmm. or to the CAC or uh, or to any number of organizations that do this mm-hmm. throughout the coming plateau I do think the beauty of this program is that it is a
0: meal a nutritious meal um how would people contact Uh, you, Rick, if they wanted to talk with you about doing this?
1: Sure. Well, they could, they could always just email me and my email address is right. that's w-r-i-g-h-t at Mm swanee.edu, or they can call me 423-364-3511 is my cell number. I'll be happy to talk to them about it.
3: Okay. I think
1: David's actually had some people, or at least one person I know of that's, that's come up to the mountain and is interested in doing this and chatting. Yeah. So. That's
2: right. We're we're always open to to having to showing folks how this works and really, um, how efficient and um, it's it's not terribly complicated. So we are certainly open to to having folks come and visit and see it in action. And um, we're, we're, right now it's one night a week, and in the near future we'll be moving to two nights a week. And yeah, absolutely. Okay.
0: And and David, how could they get in touch with you if they wanted to if they live in in you know, the service area here at South sure.
2: Carolina Plateau. So um, right now, yeah, we're uh, we're at Odie Memorial Parish. And and the name of that church is actually going to be changing soon in May to uh, St. Mark and St. Paul on the Mountain. So if it's in the, you know, not not too far off future, that that name's going to change, but just so folks know. But they can reach me at, um, my phone number is 931-598-5927 or they can email me at cac at odparish.org. That's O-T-E-Y-P-A-R-I-S-H.org.
0: Well, thank you so much, gentlemen. Now, unfortunately, this program is too late for my uneaten food, and I now clean my plate and everyone else's if I can get away with it, and I'm no longer that skinny little girl. So thank you so much for all that you do, not only in this program, but for our community. Okay. In the second part of this podcast, I'm speaking with Signe Anderson, who is the director of nutritional advocacy at the Tennessee Justice Center. Welcome, Signe. Thank you. Can you define food insecurity for us?
3: Yeah. I so uh, food insecurity means not having reliable, consistent, ac- consistent access to enough food to live a healthy life. Um, it means e- you might be food insecure if you eat regularly but the food you can access doesn't provide a good balance of nutrients. Um, you have access to nutritious food but not enough to sustain your energy for the day. Um, but it's a lot more complex than that. It's um, Food insecurity is not an isolated issue um, and it uh, causes a lot of stress it's tied to poverty uh, tied to unemployment Um, it's a it's a very complicated issue
0: okay and we're going to kind of take that apart in this in this session so um so we see this huge need for food in tennessee and the u.s both rural and urban areas
3: Right, well, food security actually was on the decline before the pandemic, um, okay. you know, it, it ebbs and flows it, during the 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 last recession, the big recession that started in 2008, you know, up until 2015, food insecurity was really high, but then we started to see levels of it decline um, up until last, well, two years ago now, 2019, we, we actually saw a decline nationwide, um, And that's reflective in in Tennessee's data too, Uh, but then the pandemic completely reversed that Um, so some uh, some of the data that I have. um, uh, In Tennessee Tennessee's data over we now have over a million Tennesseans living in poverty Uh, it's been lower than that uh, pre pandemic. Um, we have a child poverty rate of 22%, which is, we're in the top 10 of of, um, uh, when it comes to child poverty. Before the pandemic hit, there was an estimate, it was estimated that 37 million people, including 11 million children, um, reported experiencing food insecurity or hunger. Um, But then as a result of COVID-19, we are reaching closer to 54 million um, by the end of of 2020 was was the uh, the estimate mm-hmm. of where we would be with um, food insecurity. So the pandemic has done major damage to our our food insecurity and and um, stability when it comes to hunger. Um, children have been majorly impacted and and not just children but children in uh families of color uh women have been mm-hmm. uh, impacted more at a higher rates than um than other uh other Americans okay and seniors and seniors too right so for for individuals with children the food insecurity rate has risen to 31 percent okay um in communities of, of color have been disproportionately impacted. Um, Fully 39% of Hispanic individuals with children are experiencing food insecurity and and 42% of black non-Hispanic individuals with children um, are experiencing food insecurity. Um, So those are some staggering numbers Mm -hmm. that just speak to the story of of the pandemic.
0: And and, inequality.
3: And inequality, absolutely. Mm
0: -hmm. So we just hear that again and again in in all areas. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, One of the things uh, that contributes to poverty is of course, uh, unemployment, Mm -hmm. where again, these uh, groups have difficulty uh, finding um, employment. And we talk about this a lot in rural areas where um, there's not a lot of uh, business opportunities, economic opportunities in rural Tennessee. There may be transportation problems. Um, there is problems with skill level, and uh, but going to the city isn't always the answer because right. housing and mobility and the ability to do that. A lot of people in rural areas like it.
3: Right, right.
0: <laughs> you want don't want to have. And then the other thing is is low is low wages. Right. Our, our uh, minimum wage is seven and a quarter.
3: I mean, health also uh, is a factor that's associated with, with food insecurity. Um, and then just speaking to the rural piece, I, we've seen a lot of hospital closures right. across the state. And if you don't have those systems in place, uh, that's associated with um with hunger as
0: well, right, just the lack of, of of consistent, accessible, affordable healthcare.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I've been covering that for a while.
3: Housing mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. right. and transportation yeah. is another big yeah. issue.
0: Where You share the car, and then something goes wrong with the car, and you know, it's not just one person is kind of stuck, there right? It could be several several family members, you know, That's that are right. stuck for uh, transportation. Um, so what? So what is our government uh, doing uh, what's, uh, about these huge numbers of of hungry people?
3: Right. So uh, the good news is there's a nutrition safety net system that exists, and and it's honestly the most effective way to address hunger. Uh, and address poverty in the United States. Um, In some of these programs, these are programs that we focus on at the Tennessee Justice Center, WIC, uh, a nutrition assistance program for women, infants, and children, uh, SNAP, uh, formerly known as Food Stamps, uh, and then the Child Nutrition Programs, School Breakfast, uh, School Lunch, the Summer Meal Program, all of these programs have been created to address food insecurity, and they do a really good job. you know, uh, by providing people assistance to buy food through SNAP, so SNAP reduces poverty. Uh, when a family receives SNAP benefits, uh, more of the family's resources are available to purchase other necessities, uh, such as clothing or, or medicine. We often hear about se- seniors um, having to choose between medicine and food. And and if you need to take food, you know, you need to take medicine that needs to go along with food, you, you're impacting your, your health. Yeah. Um, so having having this program, this assistance program that takes away the worry and and the resources that you need to buy food to focus on other things can help alleviate poverty. Um, I, there's some studies out that show the effectiveness of SNAP. Uh, SNAP removed 8.4 million people from poverty in 2015, um, reducing the r- r- rate from 15.4 percent to 12. Point eight percent so that's a 17% reduction mm-hmm. um, and the majority of people on SNAP are children. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about SNAP and, and food stamps and who's on it and, and what it does exactly. Else, um, right? <laughs> but I think a lot of people don't realize how many children are on SNAP, how many seniors and, and uh, people with disabilities are on SNAP. It's actually the majority of participation are, are those groups. Um, uh, and then the other thing too, is according to, uh, um, USDA, I think they did studies on the length of time that people spend on SNAP. It's, it's really meant as a program that helps people for a while. And then they move off because they've found, uh, they have found employment, they found other ways to, to move themselves off of the program and, and, and have resources to support them. So uh, um, uh, eight to 10 months is is the average amount of time that people are usually on SNAP. Um, And the other thing that USDA found in in their study that they did, uh, 42% of all SNAP participants live in households where someone is working um, and more than 80% of SNAP households had a job either the year before or the year after receiving SNAP. Um, so there's there are a lot of positive aspects about the SNAP program um, that that are working very well. Um, but there's more, there's more that we can do to make make the programs work better. Okay.
0: Now what about with the pandemic? What kind of extra funding have has the state gotten? Um, the Cares,
3: um... yeah. So the Cares Act created uh, some improvements to the programs and some flexibilities to make them work in in light of the pandemic. Because there are certain things that there's certain ways that the programs operate that were nearly impossible to do in a pandemic. Um, uh, just a few examples. So. Uh, one of the one of the programs that was created because of the pandemic and out of the CARES Act was a program called Pandemic EBT. And that program was specifically targeted uh, towards children, uh, school-aged children who were suddenly out of school and, and therefore missing their free meals so that they received every day school lunch, school breakfast, all of a sudden, children no longer had access to those free meals. And so the government stepped in and uh, and created pandemic EBT to replace the the school meals with an EBT card that families could use to buy groceries. And in Tennessee, like many of the other states, uh, we were out of school from March until May. So that's that's three months um, where kids are missing out on meals that. Um, that they rely on every day and that they get every day. And so the pan- pandemic EBT uh, was put into place to help support those families. Mm-hmm. Um, the other the other um, thing that I would note are, are the flexibilities. Like there are flexibilities and programs, slight program changes to make uh, the programs more um, work better during the pandemic. Uh, WIC is one of those programs where uh, you had to go in you had to physically go into the office to apply. Uh, and then there are quarterly checkups where you um in order to maintain the benefit, um, you have to go into the office. But because of the pandemic, all of that can be done over the phone now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has that has actually helped to increase participation in the program uh, because one of the barriers to the WIP program was was transportation. Um, so that's a flexibility that, um, that has changed the program to make it easier for families to, um, to access support to, to afford to buy food.
0: Okay, good. So some good things happen. Yeah. And then of course those churches and communities, you know, are, are stepping in maybe to fill in the, in the holes, but
3: While the WIC program has become easier because of, uh, you know, eliminating that barrier where you have to physically go into the office, a lot of seniors on this, on speaking to the SNAP program, a lot of seniors were used to going into the office, uh, bringing, bringing their paper, their paperwork and going in and and getting face-to-face help with the application process Uh, because not all seniors are set up, um, you know, Tech, on technology, on computers, to to do a SNAP application online. So we've definitely seen um, some barriers there with um, seniors being able to access that application in the same way that they used to. And then also staying on SNAP, uh, there's paperwork that um, that seniors were used to dropping off, but now because of COVID, you're not going out in, into the community, and so uh, you're you're weighing your risks. I do I stay on SNAP? Um, do I go in and risk uh, getting COVID and, and applying to the program and submitting my paperwork, or do I stay home and, and figure out another way to, to manage? Mm-hmm. So uh, there are still barriers. Um, and then the culture
0: of, of poverty, the people themselves that are in need. Now, there's a lot of people that have lost their jobs. And found himself, you know, economically and financially affected very much by the pandemic. They're not used to doing all this stuff. I think they're embarrassed to have so much need and have to ask for it. They're not used to doing that. They don't want to do that. But he, but every who who wants to do that. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. So they may be embarrassed. Um, They're isolated, you know, at home with the kids and not being able to to go out and have the usual activities. So the whole mental strain of having to seek food you know right all the time um as a basic as a basic need can you speak to that
3: yeah no i think that's absolutely right uh you know we in the united states we've created um we've created a system where it's shameful to be um, poor. And it, it's embarrassing to have to ask other people for food. And so that that makes access to the nutrition safety net difficult. It also makes access to, um, you, you spoke to uh, schools and food banks and, and groups that are, are supporting people with, you know, directly with food emergency uh, boxes and, and support. And I, that's even difficult. If you have to get into your car and go to a food bank, And wait, right. And wait. And, and, and sometimes you have to provide information in order to, to, to get a a food package. So you're identifying yourself and, and the United States is, we just, we have not made it (laughs) easy for people to come forward and say, I need help. I'm struggling to to uh, um, afford food, I'm struggling to put food on the table for my family. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's a problem, right? We have to admit that Food insecurity exists everywhere. Um, it's not just, you know, in <laughs> often people think it's it's an urban you know, an urban issue, but it's it's not. Uh, SNAP participation is actually greater in in rural and suburban areas than than metro areas. Mm-hmm. Um, on a national level and on a state level, in, in Tennessee, twelve point seven percent of the population in metro areas participates in SNAP. Where in rural areas, it's actually 18.5 um, percent, and and in the U.S. Um, in metro areas, uh, generally it's 14.4 percent. So our metro areas in Tennessee see it's a little lower than the national n- national average. Um, but for rural areas, it's actually higher. You know, across the board in the United States, uh, rural areas have a an eleven point three percent participation in SNAP, um, and we are at eighteen point five percent. So you
0: and TJC are on the front lines. You are actually talking to to clients.
3: Absolutely, keeping
0: up exactly. with the programs and what could make them better and what the problems are. Absolutely, so that's
3: kind of and, and actually, because of the pandemic, we are hearing from families you know, at a much higher rate than ever before. Um, With the pandemic EBT program, uh, we, uh, you know, we started talking about it before the state applied to, to bring pandemic EBT to Tennessee because it's a state option. And so we weren't we weren't 100% sure that <laughs> that all all states would opt into it, um, but all states did. Tennessee did. All states did. But the minute we started talking about it, we had over a thousand calls from families, um, you know, through through the summer and into the fall um, about what the program was and and how do I access it. And so in those phone calls, we're hearing from parents about. What struggles they're going through. We're hearing about moms that had to reduce their hours. Um, we've heard from grandparents who care for for their children and they don't have access to to computers and and or have an email address that they need to to set set their children up for for programs. And so uh, so we're seeing you know firsthand, hearing firsthand what it's like, and it and it's bad. It's really bad. Um, parents are struggling and, and, um, and, uh, these programs have provided some relief because we are also hearing that when, when, um, we've talked to a mom who's received pandemic ABT, uh, there was one mom who, who told me, I am now able to buy my daughter fruit that, that I couldn't, I couldn't afford to buy. And, and because I have this benefit, this is helping me to access food that I didn't have before. And that's, I mean, that's amazing. It's great that it's doing that, but it's also heartbreaking. It's a, it's heartbreaking that, that parents have to, to choose whether or not they buy fresh fruit or not, you know, that that's a calculation in, in their daily lives. And so uh, the amazing thing about the nutrition programs is it helps to meet families where they are. And so they can go into a grocery store and and they can buy the food that their family needs to be healthy. There are a lot of myths surrounding yeah. SNAP, like minimal amount of fraud happening in, in SNAP. But the problem is people latch onto those bad stories and they get retold mm-hmm. um, for that one. One, (laughs) one bad story. There are a million positive stories about how it's actually working. Mm -hmm. And so I think there needs to be a change of focus. um, And there needs to be uh, some myth busting that goes on. Mm and there just needs to be a general understanding of of what these programs do. It's not just for the individual. Um, If my neighbor is able to eat, that ends up benefiting me. Uh, You might not see the the immediate effect, but um, there are costs associated with people not being able to eat versus being able to eat. Well, and not to mention the children. There's, there are so many studies that show about, uh, that show how um, hunger and food insecurity impacts learning, impacts test scores, um, impacts a child's ability to graduate from middle school to high school to, to going on to college. So uh, be it's a, right, so just to be healthy. It's a, it's a basic need that um, that costs less, than the long-term effects of hunger. Mm -hmm. Um, We will do our community, our state, our country service if we just feed those children at the outset. That will help them to to learn and become successful, go off off to higher education, uh, you know, and do positive things. If you have, if you're not worried about, um, about whether or not you're gonna eat, at lunchtime, you can focus on other things. So uh, it, it definitely changing the focus and making people understand what hunger is really about, I, I think is a huge, huge step is just the communica- c- communication and awareness piece um, is really important uh, to tackling hunger. We have a lot of money that we could use to help individuals in poverty. We are number 10 in, in child food insecurity. And TANF, TANF uh, helps families with children. And so I, I think we need to do much better about um, making sure those resources get to the families in need. Um,
0: it's to let people out of poverty. All these programs are. They're not to be forever. Thank you again for all that, that you do, Sydney, and, and your and your group. I'm so pleased to hear that a lot of people are using it
3: and a lot of people are are being helped. The other important thing to to remember too is that everyone can help address the issue. Everyone can play a part with with food insecurity and and making sure that um that Tennesseans aren't hungry and part of it is the the information piece that that we mentioned like knowing knowing about the programs uh, connecting clients loved ones neighbors to to the programs Um, and and also the other thing that we we talked a little bit about are were some of the changes that have been made because of the pandemic this is the right time to to look beyond the current crisis and
1: Mm -hmm.
3: and think about how some of these changes that have been made could could possibly stay in place right. um because we were we were able to pivot quickly and and make some changes to these programs that sometimes take a really long time and and some of these changes have been working really well so it'd be a shame to to lose them once right. the pandemic goes away
0: <clears throat> well i think this is a great opportunity in our country to address inequality and poverty And yes. uh, a big thing that you know like i said to to not complain, to not to tell stories or spread misinformation, but to take action. So I hope that we've given people some action to take. How can they learn more about the TJC and what is going on with y'all?
3: Yes, please um, visit our website, uh, www.tnjustice.org. There's a nutrition tab if you wanna learn more about the nutrition programs um, that we advocate for. Um, and and um, there's also information for, for individuals who wanna sign up for SNAP or WIC or um, be connected to the child nutrition programs.
0: Is there a phone number, Sydney, that somebody that didn't have a computer
3: could call? You wanna give us a call? Uh, the best number to reach uh, uh, TJC on is 615-255-0331. 615
0: 255 Okay, great. Now, you're located in Nashville or based in Nashville. We are. But that doesn't mean that if you live in rural Tennessee, that you can't use UN, and use your right. and, and you know either redirect or even as a volunteer, I mean, I'm 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 not that far from Nashville and I have come up for some things training in that but um you know as a volunteer uh there's still opportunities to do in your yep. community and that's what you really want to do right is, right it's not just be thought of as the big city but but how
3: right uh, absolutely we we are statewide and we work closely with partners in the metropolitan areas but also in the the rural areas um we have, Amazing partners in, in the food banks. Um, this summer, actually, we were supposed to have a rural uh, a rural hunger summit um, with our partners in Northeast Tennessee, the Northeast Tennessee uh, Second Harvest Food Bank of Northeast Tennessee. Um, but we pivoted quickly and did it online. And because we did it online, we were able to invite uh, rural communities from across the state. So there are some there are some silver linings. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. Uh, to being remote um okay yeah. great well i want to thank
0: my guests for this great podcast that i put together.
3: <laughs> well thank you <laughs> thank you so much for for talking about this issue i think it's a really important uh, topic that we should talk about more um in tennessee and and in the country really um I, we mentioned it in the beginning, but, uh, you know, individuals try to hide that mm-hmm. they're in poverty and, and people who are well off don't want to admit that there are uh, people down the street that can't afford to to put food on the table. So I think it's really important to, to talk about.
0: Thank you, to Sydney Anderson and the TJC. And thank you to Rick Wright of the University of the South and uh, David Goodpastor from uh, Odie Memorial. Uh, Episcopal Parish um What About Us is uh a part of the Tennessee Holler podcast network I hope that you go to tnholler.com and check out the other podcasts uh sign up for the newsletter and make a donation we are people powered um there's a lot of good podcasts on um especially while the Tennessee legislature is in session you keep up on you know on those on those folks there so um we'll be doing more podcasts. It's it's a new year and people are anxious to tell their story. So thanks again, everyone. Bye-bye.